Okay, I had a professor in college. It was a, a woman. She had a husband who was also a professor. He was retired, but he was a professor um, at a college on the East Coast. And he was a runner. He was a very active guy. Um, he, he knew that part of his active lifestyle required him to be properly hydrated. And outside of his lecture hall, there was a little drinking fountain, and he would discipline himself throughout the day uh, to go out and to make sure he was drinking plenty of water. Well, as he aged, he started to get more and more fatigued. And he just kind of chalked that up to old age. The fatigue got to the point where he was having a hard time doing just the regular things that he would normally do. And so he decided to go to the doctor and get things checked out. He goes to the doctor and the doctor says, no, you're perfectly healthy. You're in good shape. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. Eat, eat healthy, exercise, drink water, all of those things. And so he went on his way and fast forward a couple years later and it got to a point where he no longer was running. He was no longer doing anything active out in his yard or with his family. He could barely get himself out of bed to go to work. And due to his wife's encouragement, my, my professor's encouragement, he decided to go back and get some more extensive tests. And after a bunch of testing, they found out that he had a severe case of lead poisoning. And... This lead poisoning was so severe that it had driven him into early retirement. And so they started to search, where was this coming from? And they found out that it was coming from that drinking fountain outside of his lecture hall. That, that, that place that he went to get um, nourished was actually poisoning him. Uh, and it did it over a slow period, a, a slow, slow process over a long period of, of time. And this, this is a true and it's really a, a tragic story and it illustrates and it ties in very well with our own spiritual walk, our own spiritual lives. And there are spiritual poisons in this life that if we leave unchecked and we allow them to accumulate in our hearts... They will destroy our spirits and uh, they will damage our relationships and ultimately it will erode our relationship with God. And one of these deadly poisons, the, the one that is probably the most destructive as a spiritual poison is that of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Now I was warned, I meet with one of my mentors um, at least a couple times a month and I was telling him that I felt God directing us towards kind of abiding in this area of forgiveness for a short period of time. And we were going to go through the book of Philemon because Philemon is this is very short, pregnant book that is all about forgiveness. And, and, and he warned me, my mentor warned me, he goes, um, never is there more um, struggle in people's lives when you dive into the topic of, of forgiveness. And and um, so I'm, I'm kind of testing him out here to see if he's been in the ministry a lot longer than me. But I do know that this topic of forgiveness and unforgiveness is one that impacts every single one of us. At one level or another, whether it's something going on in our lives right now or it's something that's going to go on in our lives in the future. So we're going to look again over the next month. We're going to look specifically in the book of Philemon, we're going to look at the character, the motives, and the actions of the one who forgives. That's the picture that, that Paul gives us as he writes this beautiful, tender letter to this man named Philemon. 
but today, as a, as a means of introduction, we're going to just talk about the, the topic of forgiveness and what its definition or definitions are and, and what, what they aren't. And so we'll move through this. And if you're taking notes, um, you, you'll find these in your notes handout. And, and the first, first item here is that everyone suffers wounds. I mean, this is just everyone you can talk about this topic of forgiveness and know that it applies to every single one of us in here. And, and Jesus tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. There's no way around this truth. There's no way around the fact that in this life, there is, there's pain, there is difficulty. There's no doubt that we will be betrayed, we will be hurt uh, in this life. And, and what makes it even more interesting is that the more a person gives themselves to becoming like Jesus, the more that that pain oftentimes will increase. And we should expect that because that's what Timothy said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, all, and I really, this is my prayer for us as a church, that this would be us, that we would all desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus if that's the case, then we will be persecuted. That persecution can come in a lot of different forms. But when that persecution comes, it, it requires a response from those of us who are followers of Jesus. And that response is one of forgiveness. So uh, there, there's no doubt that there are different degrees of these wounds. My wounds may not be as deep as your wounds and your wounds may not be as, as deep as mine. But... Regardless, it is necessary for us, and the necessity of forgiveness doesn't change from circumstance to circumstances or degree to degree. It is required of, of us to be forgiving people. Something to ponder here is, is this by um, Nancy Lay DeMoss. She says, the outcome of our lives is not determined by what happens to us, but by how we respond to the things that happen to us. The outcomes of our lives is not determined by what happens to us, but rather by how we respond to the things that happens to us. And it makes me think of the Apostle Paul. And in so many of his writings, when he talks about forgetting the things that are behind, but focusing and straining uh, towards the things that are ahead, setting our eyes on, fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. He, he quoted Jesus in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when he, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And it's in my experience both personally as well as pastorally that many of us feel at our like at our weakest peak or the most weak when we're in a scenario that is requiring us to deal with the wound that can be dealt in one of a few different ways it can either be dealt with a forgiving heart or it can be dealt with a different kind of heart we all suffer wounds now, we all suffer wounds, every single one of us, um, but we deal with these wounds in two different ways. If I just was to kind of categorize all of the wounds in one of two different directions, this is how people in general deal with the hurts, the wounds of their lives. Um, the first way is they become a debt collector. This is a debt collecting mentality, and most often when we hurt, we set our minds, we set our attention, our focus, our hopes on the offender paying back for what they have done wrong to us. 
I don't know, I mean, I've had road rage incidents before, you know, where that guy's on your tail the whole time and, and um, he's driving you crazy and then finally he speeds around you and honks the horn. I actually had a time coming up 503 with my kids in my car and this, this person pulled up next to me. They wanted around me and I didn't want to necessarily pull over because I had a trailer. Well, they didn't like that. I had my, my window up, but they had theirs down and they threw a beer bottle or can, beer can, while we're driving, like 40 miles an hour, this is right up by the Louisville store, right where the um, lanes go to two lanes. Throw, and it smashes against my window. And my, 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 I think my two girls were up in the front of the truck with me. And I mean, man, the rage that came up in me. And I was just like, where's the cop? I just, yeah, you know, I just, but I couldn't speed up and really beat them because I was pulling the trailer. All of this, this is all kind of going on. And, and, and I just wanted revenge. I was so angry and so mad at this person that, that felt like they could do this. Anyway, this is what the debt collecting mentality, debt collecting um, is really oftentimes our natural human response to being hurt. When we're, we're hurt as a human being, we, we oftentimes want to try to get that person to, to pay for it. But here, here's the sad news about this. Um, this approach, the, the approach of debt collecting, the approach of wanting revenge or hoping that that person gets what's coming to them, um, that oftentimes will just lead to more and more pain, not for that person, but it will lead to more pain for the one that is wanting that pain to be put upon that other person. Because ultimately, when we step into this debt collecting mode, we are trying to play God. We're trying to be God in that situation. We somehow think that we are um, righteous enough, we are all-knowing enough, we are just enough, we are redemptive enough to take that situation and make it, and make it right. And the reality is we can't do that. We, we ultimately grab hold of the hurt and then we refuse, refuse to, to let that hurt go. There, there's a Christian author, psychologist, his name is S.I. McMillan, and this is what he said regarding a situation he was in. He said, the moment I start hating a man, I become his slave I cannot enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentments produce too many stress hormones in my body and I become fatigued only after a few hours. The man I hate is with me wherever I go. I cannot escape his grip on my mind. He may be many miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than any slave driver as he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my mattress becomes a rack of torture. The lowliest of peasants can sleep, but not me. I must acknowledge the fact that I am a slave to every man on whom I choose to not forgive. Here's the crazy truth about unforgiveness. When, when a person doesn't forgive, the only one that is hurt is that person, as well as the grievance of God. It hurts God. And our unwillingness to forgive someone, it doesn't hurt them. It really does ultimately hurt us and it grieves the Holy Spirit. So, so the first of two ways of dealing with pain, the hurt that's in our life, the most popular way in, the which, way in which our culture prefers and the way in which one of my favorite movies, The Count of Monte Cristo, prefers is that of revenge. But there is a, another way, and it's a much better way. It's, it's God's way specifically, and it's this. It's letting go. It's letting go. God calls us to a pure, powerful choice to forgive. That's what he calls us to. Earlier, 
when we talked about this, I said there's, there's two options, debt collecting and the second option of letting go, but that isn't fully accurate. The Bible does not present letting go as an option to us as followers of Jesus. It's not like we get to choose being a debt collector or choose being willing to let something go. No, the Bible calls us to, commands us to, raises the bar to letting us be people that let go of the hurts and the wounds of our lives. Colossians 3.13, as the Lord, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive one another. Jesus was equally as clear in Matthew or Mark chapter 11 when he said, whenever you stand praying, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. I like that. Anything against anyone, it doesn't really leave many back doors for excuses in order not to forgive somebody. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them. So you know I'm going to try to, or I'll get some hunting stories in as we walk through this. Uh, but I was out, I was by myself a couple hours before dark, and about 600, 800 yards away, I see an elk in a clear cut. And uh, of course, I was excited, and he was actually kind of moving my direction. And um, I needed to cut some distance because there wasn't a whole lot of daylight. So the only problem is there's this big crevasse between the two of us of dense um, woods, old growth. And so as he's kind of moving, I marked on my GPS where he was at or where I kind of estimated he was at. And I bombed through the woods. And I'm going through, and I don't know the time frame. There was maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that. And I get through a moment. I felt a little bit lost, but then I could see kind of the opening through the trees. And as I I came out and I looked, I I didn't see see him. And so I I, um, pulled up my GPS again to look and see where he was at. And um, sure enough, um, there he was at, and I looked up, and he was about 200 yards now from me. Um, so he was, he was drawing closer, but the, the really discouraging part about that as I looked at my GPS was my little dot, which is where I was standing, was on a red line. That red line is the boundary between where I'm able to hunt and where I'm not able to hunt. And so I'm sitting there and I'm a little bit of a moral dilemma. I'm in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to really see, right? No. I, I kept my integrity in check. I'll just tell you that right off the bat. Um, I couldn't go forward. I, I cow called to him and tried to sound all inviting and that didn't work. And I bugled at him and he didn't seem to care about that either. He just kind of kept munching. And I sat and watched him from that boundary line until just before dark. And, and it was a little bit, uh, well, it was exciting. It's just nice to be out there. But it was like I, I was stuck at that boundary as we deal with this topic of forgiveness, in Matthew 5.44, Jesus, in talking with a man who asks, how, how many times should I forgive someone? Jesus says, you should forgive him 70 times 7. That is a term for boundlessness. But I'm convinced that many of us, if not all of us to some degree, have boundaries on our willingness to forgive someone. We will forgive someone to a certain degree. Maybe it's just by word, but, but really... We don't offer a boundless forgiveness. Our forgiveness extends to maybe once they start acting more appropriate or once they 
ask for an apology or seek my forgiveness. That's when I will forgive them. The, the, the word that often comes up when this topic is discussed and a word that I find coming up in my own heart when I deal with forgiveness is the word but. It's that inner lawyer within each one of us that wants to justify why we do not have to obey the directions of God in his word. But if you just knew how unfaithful my spouse was to me, but if you understood the pain of my neglectful parents, but if you knew the horrors of my experience in being sexually abused, but if you knew how my ex-boyfriend and saw the picture that he posted of me online, but if you knew my rebellious children and how they've embarrassed me, whatever the case might be, we have these, we have these boundaries that we're oftentimes unwilling to cross, and it's oftentimes let off by that short three-letter word, but. Let's just define forgiveness real simply here. This will kind of be the very basic. I'm a basic guy. I like it to be very clean and clear. And it's just simply this. To forgive is to let go. It is the second aspect, the second response to how to deal with the wound. It is to let go. And it's specifically letting go of my desire to hurt or to repay someone for hurting me or for hurting someone that I love, which oftentimes can even be a more difficult forgiveness aspect to take. Oftentimes, and we're not going to deal too much with this today, but the one who needs to be forgiven most is many of us need to forgive ourselves for hurt that we've inflicted on another person or on our families or on other, other people. And forgiving ourselves, forgiving someone else is a lot easier than for many people forgiving themselves. But modern conceptions, our picture of forgiveness today oftentimes focus on more feely-goody, emotional kinds of forgiveness. Just letting go. I've been reading a number of books. And I, one of these books, and I knew it was going to be this way when I, when I ordered it on Amazon, but the whole book, and it was a decent-sized book, was all fluff. And it was all about the feely-goody kind of stuff. And if you just think it in your mind, then you are it and you're good with the universe. Kind of, not that there wasn't some, some morsels of truth that could be mined out of this particular book. But not much of it. It was mostly just fluff. But when we get our definition of, of forgive in the New Testament, aphiomai is the word for forgive in the New Testament. And it has a whole range of different meanings. So this is what the word aphiomai means in in the original language of our New Testaments. It means to, to forgive a debt or to remit a debt. It means to leave someone or something, to walk away from. It means to, to set away, to be alone. It means to walk away. It means to send away. It means to, to desert. It means to abandon. And in some cases, it even means to divorce. But in every case, in every case, it's something concrete. It's something almost physical or tangible. Uh, this word appears 146 times in your Bible, um, but it's translated into forgive only 38 of those times. The other 108 times are using one of those other words, one of those other meetings. 
So when you consider the entire range of these 146 occurrences, in every case, it's not talking about some concept that's, that's bouncing around in our minds. It's talking about something that's more concrete, which means to let go, to get rid of this hurt or this, this pain. Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave in you. In you. As we go through this, this series, we're going to look from the scriptures more in depth at what forgiveness is, what it isn't. We're going to look at its promises. We're going to look at some of the myths and expose some of those myths about forgiveness. But what I really want us to, to remember more than anything is, is this statement, that forgiveness is not a method just to be learned or a formula to be learned as much as it is a truth that needs to be lived out. It is a truth that has to be lived out. It's, and I'm the type of guy, I just want to know what to do. I'm like, just, just tell me exactly what to do. We'll get to some practical implications in just a moment. But, but really, we have to understand this is, a, this is a, a way of life for a follower of Christ. It is, a, it is a, a way of living out truth. And sometimes forgiveness, you know, maybe for, and I, I hope for all of us, but I know it's not the case, we'll be in a situation like this. Um, we'll, we'll hear from God's word and we'll walk away. And like a lightning bolt, we'll be able to release a hurt and a pain and let go of it at that moment. And you'll wake up tomorrow morning and that weight will be off your shoulders. That does happen. And I wish it happened more often in my life. It, it's not always the case, but that does happen. But forgiveness also sometimes is, is more like um, the lingering rainy season in the Northwest. It can kind of feel like it lingers on. And we have to recognize the fact that, that there's still this hurt, still present, and we still need to go through that, that letting go process as life goes on. And one day, one day, as we are obedient to honor God and his ways through being obedient to his word, one day that forgiveness will become will become real and alive. We've heard it in a number of people's testimonies as they've shared up here from this platform how God has, has given them the ability to release forgiveness for past hurts. And sometimes those past hurts were even anger towards God himself. So the real, the real challenge here, the real challenge isn't um, necessarily as we go through this, I doubt, and this is where I have to resist the temptation of trying to say something in a new fancy way. These are all truths that I think most of us know. These are verses where we've probably all heard these verses or many, many of us have heard these verses. But the, the most important thing is, will we apply these? Will we do the hard work of letting go of the pain in our lives and learning instead to walk in forgiveness? So, Keeping in mind this statement, forgiveness is not as much a method to be learned as it is a truth to be lived out. I want us to walk away today with three, I'll just call them ingredients. Just three ingredients, three helps as we walk in this truth of forgiveness. Um, and, and the first one, the first one is simply, you must choose. This is a choice Again, that, it's a concrete, it's not some ethereal, up-in-the-clouds kind of feel-goody thing. 
but it's, it's the cognitive choice that you make to forgive, forgive. Scripture, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And I know some of us might say, well, how do I know that I've forgiven that person? I mean, I've said it a thousand times, but something tells me I haven't just quite forgiven them. How do I know that I've done that? Well, here's just a few indicators of how you might know. When that person comes up in conversation, you no longer talk badly about them, gossip about them, slander them, look for ways to barb them. When, when they're no longer um, your whooping stick from a distance, that's a good indicator that maybe forgiveness has run its course. Um, another indicator would be that you think about them when you think about them and whatever happened you're able to do it without thinking about them negatively or having negative emotions all of those old feelings well up in you again another one here um, how you might know if you've forgiven someone if you were to see them stranded on the side of the road would you be willing to stop and pick them up or maybe Maybe they've hurt you in such a way that it would be irresponsible for you to open your door to them. And that's very true because forgiveness doesn't mean trust. We'll get to that. But, but would you call AAA for them? Would you, would you be willing to help them out? Um, last one here of many, but last one here is, can you go a long period of time without thinking about what happened in that situation or what happened to you? Are you able to do that? Those are just some indicators not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. So regardless, we must choose. It has to be a cognitive choice. Just as the Lord has forgiven us, we must forgive others. Second, second one is, and this one gets a laugh from people oftentimes, maybe not out, out externally, but you must pray for the offender. You must pray for the offender. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the people who are the very people that cause you and put you in this prison of unforgiveness. Pray for those people. This one does seem oftentimes a little radical and a little bit crazy. What or how do you pray for a person? What is the thing that you would do to pray for a person? If you're in a growth group, this is an opportunity you'll have to, to flesh this out just a little bit more. But I just want to offer three quick suggestions. How would you pray for the one who has hurt you so deeply? Um, pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would allow good to come into their life. Seems crazy, seems radical, but let's be honest. What do we want? We want, in our, in our fleshly state, we want to hear that person say that they were wrong, to hear that person say that they're sorry. Now, let's just say that that's our motivation. Um, I think our motivations can be a little bit more um, beautiful and robust than that kind of debtor's collector kind of mentality. But, but what's going to cause a person to get to that place? What's going to cause a person to get to that place is the confrontation of their sin. If God blesses a person, if God brings good into that person's life, that's going to start messing with them. It's going to start hurting um, 
and, and causing us to, to deal in a specific way, a different way. Um, the second way we can pray is for God's will to be done in their life. And the third way, and probably the most important way, if we were to probably put this one at the top, is that for um, Jesus and the gospel to be revealed to them and they would become saved. Wouldn't that be the best, best possible way you could get back at someone who's just evil? that they would come to know our Savior. I remember there was a man that I went to school with. His name was Dave. And it was kind of like the, the very stereotypical bully kind of situation where, where um, you know, I don't remember if he took my lunch money, but I remember I was scared of Dave. And we had him, I had him in woodshop class, and he used to, you know, he used to bully me around and threaten me and those kinds of things. And um, I remember hearing I don't know if it was a youth group or something, this challenge to pray for my enemies and thinking all of these things like, that's just stupid. But um, I remember praying for my enemies and I was walking home and I can vividly remember because I still go see my parents often and I drive by this house often. I was walking home. I heard some screaming. I didn't know this is where Dave lived, but I stopped and I looked out and um, I kind of heard the screaming. I went and kind of peered over this fence, and I saw Dave getting beaten by his dad in his front yard. And I saw his mom come running out and crying and screaming and trying to... <laughs> and I tell you, I mean, that wasn't the answer to prayer that I wanted, but um, I understood Dave a lot more um, and worked, worked and ultimately um, Dave and I became Facebook friends later in high school, <laughs> those kinds of things. Um, but you start to understand people. Um, it's, it's a gift when God gives you a picture of another person's life. Not that it would excuse any of Dave's behavior. I still wanted to kick him in the chops. Uh, but the reality is everyone has a story, and I was thankful that God gave us an opportunity. And why would we pray for our enemies? Why would we do this? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 Thanks, John. So we choose, we choose to forgive. We pray for our offender. And then thirdly, we depend upon God. This whole forgiveness thing is incredibly unnatural to our cloak of flesh, to our culture, this concept of forgiveness. And chances are um, that forgiving someone is going to require more than what your physical body can, can handle. True forgiveness, the forgiveness that we're talking about, it's not natural, it's supernatural. It's truly faith life. It's truly living for God. It's Holy Spirit strength that drives us to be able to forgive. Um, we really don't forgive from our own abilities. It's not within us to do that. When we forgive, we are exercising our God-ordained sanctification process. We need God's help, and we must depend on him for his strength in order to do that. Dr. Bob, in his closing point last week, he said, make sure, his last point was, make sure to find your entire satisfaction in God alone. 
His point was, was driven by this passage in Psalm 73. Who have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. My God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Just to put it another way, forgiveness is one of the most beautiful acts of faith that any of us can exercise. Romans 12, 19, it says, never take revenge, never take revenge. Never take revenge, my beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Another author named R.T. Kendall wrote a book called Total Forgiveness. And in this, he said, the ultimate proof, the ultimate proof of total forgiveness takes place when we sincerely petition the Father to let those who have hurt us off of the hook, even if they have not only hurt us, but they have hurt those in whom we love. My strong charge and appeal to you today is that to those who are in here who have never, never accepted that ultimate forgiveness that only comes through Jesus Christ, that you would do that. That you would give your life to Christ, that you would turn over the, the reins of your life and allow Christ to come in and to fill you, his spirit to, to drive the whole of your life. For those of you who have made Christ your Lord and your Savior, I just want to encourage you to, in faith in our Savior, to be willing to release forgiveness. This idea of wallowing around in the acid of, of unforgiveness is such a thing that is lonely, it's painful, and it's not the place for one of God's children to spend much time. I know that this brings up a lot of emotions in a lot of us, and um, that's why we're here as a church. I would challenge you to, as you, those of you who are in growth groups, as you meet in growth groups, take advantage of this opportunity to, to do some real heart work um, and lean on one another uh, because this is a very, very painful topic for some, but it's an incredibly liberating topic because is there anything more Christian than being forgiving? This is what's been done for us and I would hate for my Savior to limit his forgiveness towards me the way that I limit my forgiveness towards other people. 